I can imagine that God delights in us declaring that, doesn't he? To know and to recognize that he is our healer. He is stronger and he is greater than anything. Well, good morning and welcome to Southfield this morning. This morning we are in our second week of hearing um, a message from Charles Stone. It's great to have him here and um, sharing God's word to us and um, through through him, God is revealing some some great truth. And so I just, I think that, again, it's it's really important to prime our hearts to receive and to hear what God has to say to us through his word this morning and through, um, through Charles. So let's continue in worship. Here's my
Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your investment in us. Lord, you heard our prayer. Lord, we are humbly standing here before you, Lord, knowing that you're our maker and our creator, Father, and that you have a huge plan for us, Lord, and that your plans are bigger than we even realize. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak what is true, Father, that you would show us, reveal to us, Lord, those things that are truth and that you want us to see. But, Lord, also change us and help us to to know what to do with that truth, Father, to apply it to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It is really great to see you this morning. Finally, 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 after months and months and months of waiting, somebody discovered the heat switch and the humidity switch. This is what summer feels like. We're finally there. This will last about two more weeks, and then get your snow shovel ready. Here we go. Oh, man. Y'all have been having a fun summer. It's been fun to follow you between Facebook and talking and everything, seeing all the places you're going, things you're doing. One of my favorites, last night, Daryl Belshan, the sound guy, he's polishing up his Dad of the Year badge. He took his kids camping in the backyard. How old are they again? Two and four. I remember those days, man. Those were fun out there, and, you know, they don't want to sleep. They're all wired because they've had too many marshmallows and all that stuff, and And I don't know about you, but sleeping outside does not work for me. I hear every little noise possible. I mean, everything. So when they got old enough, I started finally doing earplugs. But don't do that at two and four. Because then they wander into mommy, and then you get in big trouble. Okay, just don't do that. Don't do that. So glad you're here today, and uh, as you came in, you received a folder. We'd like you to go ahead and take that card, go ahead and put your name on it. Let us know you were here today. Uh, it's your first time. We also uh, love for you to go ahead, and on your way out, we have some Bibles in the, in the version that we use. It's a nice, normal American English version. You're able to read it and understand it, and you can have one of those. Uh, and then on the backside, small box that gives you the opportunity to get baptized later this summer. If that's something you've been thinking about, I believe it's the last Sunday of August, we're be doing our outdoor service and you get the chance to go ahead and and declare your love for God that way in the DuPage River, a setting almost as good as the Jordan River. It's just positively beautiful, a great memorable place to declare your love for, for Jesus. I did something this past week that I'm trying to think if I've ever done before. I don't know that I have. Well, I know I haven't done this specifically. I was the the featured speaker at a family camp at Green Lake, where all the kids were just a couple of weeks ago. And so I got the chance to do something. And a lot of times when somebody goes to one of those, they pull out a series they've done in the past and they present it. I did the opposite. I worked on a series that I can do this fall. So yay, five sermons are in the can, ready to go. I love that part. This is wonderful. But I got a chance to go ahead and speak to a group of people that I've never met before. I don't know. Some are from Iowa, some Indiana, all over the place. Quite quite a wide variety. And um, I've been here a while. Come July, well, it is July. What am I saying? This will be, we're going into our 19th year. I've been here a while. I've kind of seen your faces for a bit, and you've seen mine. Thank you, three people. That's wonderful. So anyway... um, we, you know, you come every week and like I say something funny, you laugh. It works. It's like a button. Boom. It's almost like you go, make him feel good. Come on. You know, he, he's got a fragile ego. But anyway, so um, <clears throat> with these people, I'm speaking and, and, you know, I'm just like, is it going to work? Is it not? Boy, you get really paranoid speaking to a group of people that you don't know. It's really different, especially when you've been with the same group for a while. Well, the guy who came and spoke last week, Charles Stone. He's been at the same church for a while and the same church before that for a while. And now he's coming and speaking to, I don't call you strange group of people because you're not strange, but, you know, people he's not met before. And I don't know about you, but I thought he did a great job connecting with us last week. And I really enjoyed that and appreciated that. It helped me to learn more about what it means to be a real man. And this past week, I was alone with my wife. I got to put it into practice. My, my thing is just gentle responses. 
working on gentle responses. Instead of barking like a German shepherd or a Hungarian, whatever a Hungarian dog would be. But anyway, gentle responses. And so it was good to be able to have that on my mind. Today we're talking about another topic that I am sure is going to hit us right in the heart. So I'd like you once again to uh, do what you do for me. Be warm, be friendly, laugh, react, nod your head, take notes, do all the wonderful things you do all the time. Be very impressive. And welcome, Charles. Thanks. Thank you, It is great being with you guys again. And I brought my wife today. She's in the front row right here. And I, I definitely overmarried. But uh, I, I have to say, my experience last week, you guys have achieved something that no other church has ever achieved that I've spoken at. You have, I mean, far, far above any church, you have laughed at more of my jokes than anybody else. In fact, you laughed at 150% of them. Two-thirds were jokes. One-third weren't, but you laughed anyway. So I guess that's, I guess that's good. So I want to give back. You know, we want to, want to give back. So I have a little token of appreciation for you. Now, I, hopefully, this is not like against uh, school rules. And if it is, I'm gone after today, so you'll have to just <laughs> deal with it. So, so anyway, uh, this is something that, uh, a way for me to give back, but there's also kind of an ulterior motive. And, uh, well, anyway, uh, you're probably wondering, we're going to get that thing out of the bag. <laughs> Chocolate. Mm, so I have two bags. I hopefully we have enough. So just take one, pass it along, and Dennis said anything's left, give to him, and he will properly dispose of <laughs> the chocolate that is that is left. All right. I'm gonna put this too big. It's got my five-hour energy in it. All right. So it again, it is just great being with you guys and. You got a really good thing going here. You got a great pastor. You really do. You got a guy. I've watched him. You know, I've been around a lot of pastors, and I've watched him interact with you, and he, he, the way he loves you and reaches out to you, and you really, really have a great, great pastor. Love him. Take good care of him. Pray for him. Love his family, and God will be greatly, greatly honored by that. Well, this, this morning, I want to approach a subject it's on the screen that has gotten a real bad rap lately. It's, it's under attack. I mean, you read the newspapers, you know, this Snowden, Snowden fellow, is he a hero? Is he a traitor? The NSA, the IRS, the Justice Department, Lance Armstrong, who lost all of his awards, you know, last year for doping. And I read just recently, he said, you can't win unless you dope. So integrity is taking a beating. It's gotten so bad, it has affected our pets. Yeah, I found this on the internet. So, it's uh, I'm from the South, so I can, you know, I can, I can do this. I'm from Georgia. So, fellow was driving from, actually, he was from Illinois. It, how, do you, how do you pronounce Shamana? Shanahan. Shanahan, okay, yeah. <laughs> Shanahan. <laughs> Whatever. He was, he's from there, actually. He was driving in South Georgia. And he saw this sign in the front of a house. And uh, it said, talking dog for sale. He thought, well, okay, I'll just check it out. So he went on the front door and knocked on the front door. And this guy came to the front door. He said, uh, I, I saw the sign out here. And you got a talking dog? Yep, I sure do. So I'd like to see it. Well, that's fine. You just go around back there. So he walked around back behind the backyard. And, and he saw this old mutt sitting there, an old black mutt. And he thought, well, why not? And he, and he said to him, and then he said, uh, you talk? And the mutt said, yep. And he was like taken aback. He said, I can't believe this. And thought, well, I'll just try it anyway. I'll continue the conversation. So he says, so what's your story? And in a very southern voice, this mutt says, well, I discovered this gift pretty young, and I wanted to help the government. And so I told the CIA about my gift. And in no time, they had me jetting from country to country, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders, because no one figured a dog would be eavesdropping. I was one of their most valuable spies eight years running. The jetting around really tired me out, and I knew I wasn't getting any younger, so I wanted to settle down. So I signed up for a job at the airport, do some undercover security work, mostly wandering near suspicious characters and just listening in. 
uncovered some incredible dealings there and was awarded a batch of medals. Had a wife, mess of puppies, and now I'm just retired. This guy can't believe what he hears. He's absolutely amazed that this dog is talking to him. He's got to have it. So he goes back around, knocks on the door and says, Sir, I'd like to know how much you want for your dog. He thought he was going to charge thousands and thousands of dollars. And the guy said, $10. He said, $10 for this talking dog? He says, yeah. That dog back there, he's such a liar. He didn't do any of that stuff. It'll, it'll, it'll sink in. You know, it'll sink in. Yeah, you can go tell your friends at work that you heard this great joke. In the 1990s, the book was written called um, The Day America Told the Truth by James Patterson and Peter Kim. They asked a question to a lot of, a lot of uh, Americans. What would you do for $10 million? And here's what the responses came back as. Would abandon their family 25%. Would abandon their church 25%. Would become prostitutes for a week or more, 23%. Would give up their American citizenship, 16%. Would leave their spouses, 16%. Would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free, 10%. Would kill a stranger, 7%. Would put up their children for adoption, 3%. Now, that last one there, obviously those families they asked didn't have teenagers or it would have been. (laughs) So... And if you're a teenager, listen, you know, we love you. you So don't don't hit me or anything. So this question here, what is it? What is integrity? If you get right down to it, what is integrity? Let me throw out a couple of possible definitions. Integrity is doing what you said you would do. It's keeping your promises. It's when your words and your actions match. It's when you practice what you preach. It's who you are when nobody else is looking. Now, this, I don't know if this is really an official army kind of saying, but let me read to you what this is. Really, really good. It says, the army needs soldiers, and I'll apply the, our world needs people, who do not have a price at which they can be bought, who willingly put in a 14-hour day for an 8-hour paycheck, who do not borrow from integrity to pay for expediency, whose handshake is an ironclad contract, who are honest in small matters as they are in large ones, whose ambitions are big enough to include others, who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and ruthlessness are the three keys to success, who are occasionally wrong and always willing to admit it. My favorite coach of all time, John Wooden, and he coached UCLA basketball, I think of the 80s, like 12 straight national championships. Here's what he said. He said, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. My, my mom and dad live in, in Georgia, and they're still living today in, in pretty good health. One of the things they built into me was the importance of integrity. I'll never forget a friend of mine, Dwayne Mercer. He's a pastor of a real large church in Florida. We were friends back in Georgia. We started the church about the same time, two different churches. Where he started his church was like almost across the street, two streets over from where my parents lived. So they joined the church. They were very involved, very helpful. And Dwayne, uh, the, the, the ministry there was going well, but people began to criticize him. One little group really kind of wanted him out. And in this tradition of the Southern Baptist Church, they'd have these regular business meetings, and anybody could say anything they wanted. And in one particular meeting, people were standing up and really drilling Dwayne, really criticizing him, saying really mean things. And as Dwayne was telling me this story with, with mist in his eyes, he says, I'll never forget what your dad did. Your dad stood up in that meeting and he defended me. He said, that meant so much to my soul. That's just one example. Now, my dad's not perfect. But my dad and my mom taught me about the importance of being a young man, now an older man, the importance of integrity. In fact, one of my life verses is on the screen here, Isaiah 32, 8. The noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. You see, guys, integrity is a big deal to God. It's very important to him. So this morning we look at ways how you can deepen your integrity through six decisions, through six choices. And we're going to see some amazing characters that exemplified this in Scripture. But maybe one of the things you may be asking, like, okay, Charles, you know, integrity, that's real good and all that kind of stuff, but what... Why should I really build a life around integrity? Let me give you some practical 
reasons or, or tangible benefits. Psalm 25, 21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. So scripture says integrity has a way to protect us. Proverbs 10, 9. The man of integrity walks securely. If you live in integrity, you'll have confidence in your life. You won't have to tell a lie to cover up the other lie you told. Proverbs 11, 3. The integrity of the upright guides them. Wiser decision-making. Those who live with integrity as a part of their life, a major part of their life, make wiser decisions. And, of course, ultimately the reason we should uh, live lives of integrity, First Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. God loves it when he sees us living day to day, men and women and students and young people with integrity. And then, of course, who's the model of integrity for us? Jesus. Matthew twenty two sixteen. Teacher, we know you have integrity. It's a big deal. A very big deal to God. Now, if you have your Bibles or your iPhones, turn to Daniel. We're going to look at Daniel and his three friends, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You probably heard the story. But we're going to kind of actually do an overview of the book. We're going to see how these four young men model integrity. Now, I'll give you the setting here. 600 B.C., and uh, one of the uh, intrusions into Israel by King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the story around that. And uh, starting in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. So the, the edict was, this, the story begins with, Bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now here's the context here. When kings of, in the ancient world would go and invade another country, they would take the cream of the crop, the best of the best, so that they could train them in their culture and their ways and then put them into service. This is what was happening here. And then it says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. So this, the king assumed that the food that I ate, we're going to give to these young men that he conscripted, going to conscript into service, and they would eat the food he was to eat. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'll explain the name change in a minute. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So you got the picture here? This great king had gone in, attacked the land of Israel, and gotten the cream of the crop. And some of those cream of the crop guys were these four young men. They were teenagers, 15 to 18 years old. And uh, for three years, they were indoctrinated into Babylonian culture, their language, their history, what was important to them. They were asked to fit in, to become one of them. Now understand, these young men came from a God-fearing culture. Now they were put into a God-less culture. Imagine the temptations. You were in this atmosphere, which was monotheistic, focused and worshipped the one God. Now you're in a totally different world, different culture, different gods, all different. Not only were they to be seeped into this culture for three years, but their names were changed, as I read a moment ago. In biblical days, your name reflected who you were, your identity, much more than, than necessarily our names do in our, in our country. The original names of these four had God somehow woven into their name. For example, Daniel means God is my judge, the one true God. Their names, however, were changed to include the false gods. Now, Daniel's name reflected Baal will protect. So all kinds of things working against these young men, working against being men and young men of integrity, constant reminder through their name, you're no longer one of those, indoctrinated into the culture, being in this pagan culture, a lot of temptations. So let's look at six ways we can deepen our integrity through the lives of these young men. Verse 6 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, number one is this. Make the tough choices. Now, remember when they brought him in, the king was going to feed them their, his food, his food and his wine. But Daniel did not want to do that. Now, this was not a nutrition issue. You're like, you know, don't drink alcohol because it kills brain cells or don't eat Chicago dogs because it increases your, your blood pressure or your cholesterol. It wasn't a nutrition issue. 
Rather, it was an integrity issue because the food that the king ate was ceremonially unpure because it was used in pagan practices. The Jewish law prohibited that. So rather than break faith with God by eating that food, Daniel and his young men, uh, they were committed to the priorities of keeping the Lord first and foremost at all cost. Now, this was a very costly choice for him to do that. So let me ask you, when you're faced with the decisions, which way do you go? God's way or expediency? When we do our taxes, do we report all that income? You take a test and you have the opportunity to cheat. Do you choose not to cheat? When the boss is gone, do you work as hard then as when he is there watching you? Because every time we make those right choices, we deepen our integrity. Now, here's what happened. Verse 9. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Now, it's interesting. If you read the whole book, this is kind of my assignment for you next week. Read the whole book of Daniel in your your devotional time. As you follow the storyline of Daniel, you find that oftentimes when Daniel presented himself as this young man of integrity to these officials, those officials were warmed to him. Now, this official was told, you know, feed all these young guys the king's food. Daniel didn't want to do that. And then Daniel came back and asked if, if he, he could do something different. Well, you can imagine this official. If he didn't obey the king, be death for him. So here's what Daniel did. He gracefully suggested an alternative. Verse 12. So here's Daniel to the official who's going to carry, you know, feed these guys the king's food. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Get the picture? All the other, these guys that were conscripted into service are going to eat the regular food. But Daniel was asking, can we just go with this diet that I suggest? So he agreed, that is the official, to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine and they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So as you see in the storyline here, God gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. Now, fast forward three years. Remember, they were conscripted into service. They were inculcated into the culture. For three years, they were taught everything about the culture. This is after three years. They appeared before Nebuchadnezzar, the king. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Pretty amazing. Even though for three years they were inculcated into that culture, Daniel and these three friends of his came out head and shoulders above everybody else. Well, sometime later, King Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream. So they called all these wise men, soothsayers, these prophets, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that category. He called them in and said, I want you to interpret my dream, but there's one more thing I want you to do. Tell me my dream first. So here are these wise men like, what? We don't even know your dream. How can we interpret it? Well, this made Nebuchadnezzar really mad, so he was going to put them all to death, including Daniel and his three friends. It says in chapter 2, verse 14, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone uh, out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, that is, here's the guy who was going to, issue, who was going to execute all these wise men because they didn't know, couldn't interpret the dream because they didn't know the dream, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Here's a second decision to build integrity. Treat your adversaries with respect. Treat your adversaries with respect. Now, Daniel was faced with a precarious situation. He was one of these wise men. He was on death row like all of the other wise men in the country. But this is an amazing word here. In the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament is primarily written in, the words there, one word is so colorful. It's different from English language. It's just so colorful. The, one word, the word tact is actually a word... Uh, a colorful word to describe to taste or form an opinion about something based on its flavor. So here's what Daniel did. By the way he approached the executioner, his demeanor, his words, and this was his adversary understanding, this was the guy who was going to kill him. He, he kept his words from being distasteful to this executioner. 
And as a result, the executioner listened to him. And it's, it's just amazing how you've probably had this experience as well. Have you ever had an interaction with somebody and you walked away with a bad taste in your mouth? Likewise, it, 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 it's not because you ate something better. But that, that experience created this bad taste in your mouth. On the other hand, have you ever interacted with somebody and walked away with a good taste in your mouth? This is what Daniel did. He approached his adversaries with respect. So let me ask you, what, you know, what, is, what do we usually do? What is our temptation to do with our adversaries, our enemies, and those people giving us grief? Get even? React? Have the kind of one-upmanship on them? But Scripture says we're not supposed to take revenge nor react. We're supposed to love our neighbors. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. And what happened in Daniel's case, and it can happen in our case, when we treat our adversaries with respect, although not always, God can use that to turn their heart, to make them more favorable to us. So who's hassling you today? Who's giving you the greatest grief? Spouse? <laughs> Kids? Somebody at school, your boss, neighbor, an in-law that you might call an outlaw. (laughs) Who's giving you the greatest grief today? Well, verse 15 says this. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And this was very risky to appear before the king. So he appeared before the king. He went back and asked his friends to beseech God, to come before God and say, Oh, God, we need, we need your help. And they did that. God revealed the dream to Daniel. He went back to the king. And in this next statement here in Scripture, this tells us even more about the heart of Daniel. Verse 27, chapter 2, this is the message paraphrase. Daniel answered the king, No mere human can solve the king's mystery. I don't care who it is. No wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner, but there is a God in heaven who solves mysteries and he has solved this one. So you see where Daniel put his source of his integrity, where his foundation was? In the Lord. He even spoke it boldly to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew his integrity came from his relationship with God. And here's number three. Build your moral compass around Jesus. When I was growing up, I was a Boy Scout, and unfortunately, their Boy Scouts were changing. But there was two things you knew you could survive on as a Boy Scout if you went camping. Your pocket knife and what else? A compass. Now, you may want to add a Snickers bar in there because sometimes the food is really bad. But if you had those first two, you knew you could survive. Daniel had a true north. And where does the needle on a compass always point? North. Daniel had a true north, and that true north was in the Lord himself. His moral compass kept him from cutting corners, spinning the truth, compromising, hedging, making excuses, or fudging. His true north was his unswerving commitment to the one and true God. Now, it's key to understand this, that before he got in the battle, he already made up his mind who he was going to follow. We don't build integrity... Uh, when we finally get in the battle and then decide, well, am I going to go this way or this way? We predetermine where we're going to go, who we're going to follow. That's true integrity. You don't work out your convictions in the heat of battle. It just doesn't work that way. We act upon our predetermined point of reference, our predetermined true north, which is the Lord. So he interpreted the king's dream. The king responded favorably. He didn't kill all the wise men. The king honored the one true God. He promoted these young men. Now, you'd think that this king would be on the right spiritual track, but he was kind of wacko. So he made this great big gold statue, 90 feet tall. He required everybody in the country to bow down to this statue when a certain kind of music was, was played. And whoever didn't do that would be killed in a blazing furnace. Now, these other wise men were jealous of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because these guys were, they were literally, they were immigrants. They were foreigners, and they were getting promoted above everybody else. And uh, so, because of that jealousy, they looked for ways to bring Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down. Well, 
These, in this part of the story, these three young men didn't worship the king. These other officials who were jealous of them ratted on these guys, told King Nebuchadnezzar. They were brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what happened. Chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, and this is gutsy, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They said, we're not going to do it. Well, this really ticked off Nebuchadnezzar. He heated the furnaces up seven times hotter, so hot that the, when the guards threw these guys in, they got burned up. A little later, Nebuchadnezzar looked in. He didn't see just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He saw four figures. The fourth figure was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who was taking care of those young men. He was amazed, took them out of the furnace, promoted them, praised the God of the Hebrews, did an about face, issued an edict that everybody had to worship the one and true God. Now, fast forward 60 years later. Daniel is old. He's in his 80s, wanting to enjoy his twilight years. And uh, so as you read Daniel, you see him as a, a, teen, a teenager, an adult, and then an old person. Now, at this time, Daniel and two others co-ruled the kingdom with just the king over them. Daniel so impressed the current king, Darius, that he planned to promote Daniel to be the number one over these other two. This didn't set well those other two officials. And here's what happened. Chapter 6, verse 3. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So you got the picture here? He reigned with two others, but he was going to be placed number one, and these other two guys didn't like that. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Remember Daniel, the man of integrity? They could not find anything but integrity in him. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So they tried to find something, some way to keep this guy, Daniel, from being promoted. They couldn't do it, so they devised a scheme. They had to try to approach it in a different way. So what they did was, understand, remember, Daniel was a monotheist. What does that mean? One God. They were in a polytheistic culture. What does that mean? Many gods. So they were going to play on this, and so they tricked the current king, Darius, to um, issue an edict. And the edict was that for 30 days, just 30 days, you had to worship Darius, not another god. Now, it was common knowledge that Daniel, one of the ways he kept his relationship with the Lord going, three times a day he prayed. Three times a day. And everybody knew that. So here was the situation. The edict was signed. It was law. Daniel, when he heard about this, was faced with a decision. Now understand, he wanted to enjoy those golden years. He was 80 years old. He lived as a man of integrity. He hadn't cut corners. He hadn't gone this direction, an opposite of what God wanted to do. He didn't do any of that. But for 30 days, at the risk of his life, the law said, you don't worship the one God, you worship me. Now, you think about it. You're 80 years old. You don't want to be hassled when you're old. No. Like... What would, be the, what would be the big deal just for 30 days? You know, he can maybe pr- pr- pray on his own. What's the big deal of not doing the three times of prayer and just, you know, kind of perfunctory like, okay, I worship this, but I'm not really in my heart doing that. Big, not a big deal, right? Because this is the older years. Not Daniel. He chose to trust God. He chose to continue his public commitment to God through praying three times a day. This is exactly what that opposition group wanted. They they waited until they could catch him. They caught him. They brought him to King Darius. And King Darius was heartbroken because he loved Daniel. But he signed the edict and he had to follow through with it. So here's number four. Stay consistent even in the small things. Stay consistent even in the small things. Now here's what happened. Daniel was consistent. It says in chapter 6, verse 16, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Because he was going to be thrown in the lion's den. This is Darius saying, Well, I hope you make it through, my friend. Chapter 6, verse 19. 
At the first light of dawn, after he was thrown to the lion's den, that is Daniel, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And he was just like crossing his fingers. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Those very guys that reported him, they were thrown into the lion's den. And an edict was issued that all the land must worship the one and true God. Now think about it. It would have been a small thing. Why risk your life? Why risk being killed just for a few days? I'm not really changing my view of things. It's just a small thing. But Daniel refused to compromise even on the small things. Small things matter to God. In Scripture, the the Scripture says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain and to be moved. Jesus talked about having the faith of a young child. Zechariah 4.10 says, don't despise small beginnings. Remember I told you my parents modeled for me and taught for me the importance of integrity? Well, I must have been, I'm trying to think, um, maybe eight or nine years old, a long time ago, 100 years ago. (laughs) And we lived at 969 Westfield Drive, Fairfield, Alabama. And about a a mile away was a 7-Eleven. And I'd walk down there sometimes to get sweet tarts or an icy or something like that. My parents would give me, parents would give me a buck. I walked down there to get something, got the change, and put it in my pocket. Walked back home, and when I almost got home, I reached into my pocket and looked at my change and realized that the cashier had given me a nickel too much. Five cents. Small thing. I walked back, said, sir, you, you, you gave me five cents too much in change and gave it to him. And that was a long time ago. Why do I even still remember that? Because that was one of those small defining moments. In a small thing, in a lot of eternity, not a big deal. But let me tell you what. When I made that simple decision, because I still remember it, it was one of those small defining moments that small things of integrity matter to God. Cheryl... um, and she loves people. If you've met her, she's just, just this wonderful, open-hearted person. And um, we have, uh, I'm just kind of, I'm not going to tell enough details because I don't want to give it all away. But anyway, uh, Cheryl uh, loves, loves children. And she's uh, caring for, just doing some fun things with some girls not too far where we live. And one of the girls who's 12, I think this is right, 12, uh, she was telling them they were going to this restaurant. And you know, if you go to these like buffets, I love the buffet. You know buffets are biblical? Paul buff, buffeted his body. Anyway, so I think it's biblical. Maybe a little poor translation there. But, you know, they had this cutoff. Like if you're 12 years old, like you're an adult, if you're under 12, it's, it's cheaper. And this little girl is telling Cheryl, said, oh, we went to this buffet. And although we're 12, my mom told them that we were just 11 and we paid less. What's happening there? You, you see what's happening. Small thing, you know, a few dollars. Nah, they, they won't miss. It's not going to hurt the restaurant, you know. No big. But what are those girls learning? Small things don't matter. You can weasel your way to do this. You can twist. You know, small things really, really matter to God. Here's number five. Realize that people will either become bitter or better when you live with integrity. Now, if you read the story, you find that sometimes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they responded with integrity, some were impressed and moved and their hearts turned. On the other hand, some didn't. Some couldn't stand them. They tried to get rid of them. They wanted them killed. So realize that when you make a stand for integrity, some people are going to admire you. They're going to say, wow, that's the kind of person I want to be. Some people are going to spit in your face. They're not going to respond. They're going to, you're going to make them even matter. So I guess this is what I'm saying. Don't do this when you're faced with a decision of integrity. Don't go, don't take a poll first. No. Because if you really want to be a man or woman of integrity, 
Make sure you've already predetermined who you're going to follow, no matter the response. Here is, here's number six. Model integrity to your kids and your grandkids. Model integrity. Isn't that cool? You know, like the old like father, like son. There was a, there was a commercial that came in my day. Uh, where and it was kind of like an anti-smoking commercial, and it showed a dad sitting up against a tree, his back against a tree, and his son sitting back against the tree, and he put his legs up, you know, kind of put his hands over his knee, and then the next thing they showed was the dad pulling out a cigarette, and you know, the, completing the story was left to your own mind. You knew where it was going. Centuries ago, the ancient Chinese were so fearful other enemies on the north, that they built the Great Wall of China, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so high, they knew no one could climb over it, and so thick that nothing could break it down. Then they settled back to enjoy their security. But during the first 100 years of the wall's existence, China was invaded three times. Not once did the enemy break down the wall or climb over its top. Each time, they bribed a gatekeeper and marched right through the gates. According to the historians, the Chinese were so busy relying upon the walls of stone that they forgot to teach integrity to their children. Our kids do what we do more than what we tell them to do. Inconsistency breeds inconsistent integrity. Consistent integrity will breed consistent integrity in your children. Recognize that ultimately we all know they'll make their minds up. But guys, your parents live as moms and dads of integrity. There there are a couple of, I guess you could say, primary motivators of my life. One is that I know that one day I'm going to appear before the Lord. And I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That motivates me. There's a second one. One day I'm going to die, and my casket's going to be right in the front of the church there. And, you know, like most funerals, people are given the opportunity to say something about the the deceased person. Um, I want to live in such a way that my kids stand up, Heather and Josh and Tiffany. And they stand up before those that are there at that service to say, My dad, you know, he may not have been the smartest, sharpest tool in the toolbox. (laughs) He may not have been the greatest writer, the greatest preacher. But my daddy was a man of integrity. That motivates me. That really motivates me when I'm faced with the temptation to go this way and God's way is that way. Because that desire in my heart to live that kind of way helps me make this choice. Integrity matters to God. Now, I want to pray for you, and here's how I want to pray for you. I'm going to, in a moment, ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray through these six decisions, and here's my challenge to you. Pick the one that resonated with your heart the most and begin to apply it next week. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, thank you for these just really gracious people who are so kind and listen so well. And Lord, I pray that this simple story of Daniel amazing story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would encourage every one of us here to model our lives after the kind of integrity that they show. Help us be men and women and students and boys and girls of integrity. Now as your heads are still bowed, I'm going to just go through these six, and I'm going to ask you, whatever, whichever one resonates with you the most, just say, Lord, this is one I want you to, I want you to change in me. I want you to make me more like that. Help me make that decision. Make the tough choices. What choices are you facing today? Treat your adversaries with respect. Who's hassling you today? Give me the greatest hassle. How are you responding to them? Build your moral compass around Jesus. Have you predetermined what you're going to do when you're put in a, a decision-making situation? Stay consistent even in the small things. Do you find yourself cutting corners sometimes? Realize that people will either become bitter or better when you live with integrity. Do you take a poll? Model integrity for your kids and grandkids. If your kids did what you did last week, 
Would you be happy about that? So, Lord, I just ask that you would make us more like you. Help us to live as people of integrity because our faith and trust is in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our servers are going to come and they're going to distribute communion to us. You'll receive uh, a tray and in the middle is a piece of bread. You can take one and go ahead and eat that right away. And then take the cup and hold on to it. And while you're holding on to it, I want to begin with just reading several verses that um, talk about being quiet in the presence of God. Just kind of preparing our hearts. You've had time to, to hear God's word spoken. And, um, and I think a lot of times we miss what God's saying because we're just not quiet enough to hear it. So come and serve us right now. And I'm going to read these verses. No music playing or anything else. But just kind of um, reflect on the words. Hold the cup in your hand. And then we'll have some questions for you at the end. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Speak to me, Lord, I'm listening. Be still and know that I am God. Wait patiently before the Lord. I wait quietly before God. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Stillness and silence create space for God to talk. One great American writer wrote, Let us be silent that we may hear the whisper of God. What's God whispering to you today about integrity? Is there a small area that you've been cutting corners? Is there something that your family does that you let the kids do and now you're realizing, man, I'm I'm teaching them the wrong patterns? Is there someone that you feel like you can disrespect because they don't respect you? God spoke in some way this morning. And I want to encourage you right now, first of all, to ask God to forgive you. Let that sin be cleansed. Let it be washed away so that you can be white as snow. Ask Him for His forgiveness. And beyond that, ask for Him to allow today to be the day that a new beginning starts. Who cares what yesterday was? Yesterday's gone. Today we get to start over in the power of Jesus. God, help us to be people of real integrity so that no matter who's looking and even if they aren't, we're always consistently pointing toward Jesus.
In your name, amen. You can take that cup and celebrate the Lord's death right now. Drink it together. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Your server is going to return to collect the offering. You can go ahead and place your card in that. Uh, Some people like to put their pens back, but remember, you can always take a pen with you. That is not a lack of integrity at our church. You can take pens. You can distribute pens. You're feeling guilty. All the pens are going to come back next week. No. You can keep your pen. You can keep church Bibles. That's cool. You can, if you take change out of the offering, just make sure you leave more than you took and you're good. It all works. It all works out very well. want to remind you that if you have a high school student going to Omega, today's the last day, the last day for early registration. So make sure you get that done if you want to get in at the early registration level. The other thing I want to remind you of is that Next week is a week you won't want to miss. And I I laugh when I say that because I never want you to miss. I always want you to be here. But next week we're going to be talking, um, taking the time in the morning to talk about our future, to talk about uh, the potential for a new church building, for a home. We're going to talk through the details of that, share some things in terms of uh, progress that's been made, ideas that we might be able to move forward with. And uh, we hope that you'll join us for that morning where you can just kind of gather some information and start to simmer on it. So we've been, uh, we've been out here for a while without a building. We've been sitting in this school. I love this school. It's a great building. We have a great relationship with them, and, and it goes very, very well. But I think most of us came out here thinking, Someday we'd be sitting in our own building. So we want to be able to go ahead and have a conversation with that, with the whole gang. So we hope you'll join us for that next week. If you miss it, it'll be on the podcast. You can go ahead and listen to it, but make sure you're here for that day. All right? Why don't you stand and we're going to sing a great song to close. Sing with energy. Let's go.
with me. You made all things work together for my good. You made all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You Awesome day, and we'll see you next Sunday.